Hi everyone. Welcome back to Invisible Scars. This is Michelle via piano, and um, I wanted to dedicate this episode to my mother-in-law, Barbara via piano, who recently passed away this summer. Um, and uh, one of my very good friends who always thinks she's my daughter, Samantha Van Riper. Um, she lost her grandmother, Roberta Palumbo, this summer as well. And I just wanted to uh, dedicate this episode to the both of them. So the last time I recorded was months ago and I knew episode 12 was always gonna be called, wait, what? And it was at first, in regards to situations that happened in um, my relationship with Jordan's father, um, I had found a bunch of emails and I, I was reading them and I was like, seriously, wait, what did he just say? And um, so I want to, I want to touch on them first. Um, and then I want to go into this episode. Um, I also promised that I would record myself recording my next episode. So I am sitting here in one of the rooms in my mother-in-law's home. Um, I loved her bedroom. I love her room. I love her whole house. So I thought it was cool to sit here um, and record. I feel like she's close to me. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about was um, the last time Jordan actually saw her father and he called her and um, he, he wanted to see her and he, he wanted to take her uh, and her sister Juliana out on his boat. And my first reaction was, wait, what on a boat? And I was instantly nervous of what would happen if, something went wrong and he was gonna maybe do something to her on that boat. How would I know? How would anybody know? How would Gina know? And what's interesting is Gina and I both had that same gut instinct and reaction. Uh, when we spoke, she said, Michelle, I'm concerned about them being on the boat too. So then, um, of course, she kept, Jordan kept texting me while they were on the boat saying she was okay because she knew I was worried. But what really upset me about that was when she came home, Jordan just kept saying how her dad uh, was showing off his brand new boat and he just kept talking about his new boat and um, how nice it was and how pretty it was. and. Um, and how he had all this money now. And uh, then he proceeded to say, and just so you know, child support stops at 21. So you've only got a couple of months left where your mom's gonna get money from me. So it just bothered me because as I have said before, every time he wants to see her, there is an agenda. There is an underlying force that he needs to get a point across or 
make someone feel like crap. So um, when she came home and she told me this, well, actually she told me on the phone and then we talked about it in detail when she got home, but I just, I couldn't believe it. And at the same time, I knew that there was a reason he does. He hasn't seen her in the longest time. I can't remember the last time they spoke. Um, uh, It's probably been months, if not close to a year since she has seen him. And usually he will call her or want to see her when it's good for him or important to him, or he has a message. So um, that was the message. And it blows my mind because He has only been paying child support since 2017, and um, I have paid for everything for my daughter since 2006. So, and that's okay, because if he wants to stop child support, then we can go back to court and um, he can pay for half of her college tuition, which if you remember, when I asked him to co-sign her student loan, he said, um, if you drop child support, I'll pay for one semester. So he's messing with the wrong bitch. Anyway, um, more on that to come, but I, I wanted to touch base on some other scars. Um, as I mentioned, my mother-in-law who I love dearly passed away in June, um, June 29th. And we had seen her The last time we saw her was Father's Day. She came to the house. The whole family was there with the exception of one of my nieces um, who was away at college in in Tennessee. And um, that's not true. Anyway, sorry. She's in Auburn. I don't know. I'm so confused. Anyway, sorry. She was away at Auburn. And um, we had the most amazing day. What was interesting is that that day, my mother-in-law told me that she had backed out of her driveway and um, she thought the car was in drive, but it was in reverse and she, she hit a tree. And she's like, I have to get my car fixed before it gets turned in. I have to get my car fixed. I have to get my car fixed. And I was like, mom, your car doesn't go back for another year. She's like, I know, but I have to get it fixed. That whole day, she was just off. Um, Something wasn't right. She had a a hard time breathing. She was struggling um, just to walk across from the living room to the kitchen in my house or sit outside by the pool. Um, And she actually sat by my pool and put her feet in it. First time she's done that in four years. And she just looked like she was somewhere else. And um, I said to my husband and my sister-in-law that day, you guys, something is wrong with mom. I don't think she should be driving. I told them about her hitting the tree and, um, and some other things. And I was talking to her, my, my daughter, Jordan had told her that we ran into um, a cousin of hers in uh, Fresh Grocer. And my mother-in-law didn't even know who we were talking about. And, and um, which is strange because every time mom would come up, we would talk about 
Kathy and just, you know, did you see her? How's she doing? Tell her I said hi. And this particular day, she didn't even uh, know who we were talking about. So she had a lot of pain that night in her, in her back. And she kept saying it was because she pulled a muscle and I just knew something was wrong. So I urged my husband and my sister-in-law to go down to her house the following weekend. And I wish I would have done it, made them go sooner because it was just, I don't know. Um, but Paul went down uh, Saturday morning, came, came down to her house around 6.30 in the morning and talked to her and, and, and his sister came and they were very concerned. And she said, um, what are you guys here trying to do an intervention? I don't want to go to the doctor. Um, but somehow they convinced her to go to urgent care. Keep in mind, this was the day before, the weekend before our vacation was starting. So Marissa and I were planning on coming down to mom's um, on Sunday. And um, on Sunday, Paul actually, Paul and Cindy actually took her to urgent care. And they did some tests and they, they thought, um, they said, you know what, it, it really looks like this is COPD. They gave her some medication and... Um, and she felt a little bit at ease. And they, it was interesting because she loves or loved whenever I would come down with Marissa. And she told Paul that um, maybe I, we shouldn't come down, I shouldn't bring Marissa on Sunday. So I decided to wait until Monday. So that being said, um, that night they, cooked all these things that mom loved. Um, the the uh, fritzels, she knew I was coming, so she made me onion dip because that is my downfall. Um, and she made strawberry shortcake, which is everyone's favorite. Well, not mine, but Cindy, Paul, dad loved it, mom loved it. And they made strawberry shortcake. And she had a really good night's sleep. Um, Cindy went home Sunday night and Monday morning when uh, everyone woke up, I was on my way down, I was driving and she just didn't sound good. And I instantly knew something was wrong. And about an hour into my ride, um, I was going over the, you know, exit 129, going over the bridge and um, Paul called me and said, uh, she needs oxygen, you know, don't come here. And I, I instantly started to cry and I was like, I'm halfway here. How am I not going to, how am I not going to come here? How am I not going to go see her? And I knew at that point he called an ambulance, but he didn't want Marissa to know that. So, um, and thankfully Bluetooth, everyone knows everything. So Marissa started crying. I can't lose Nona. I can't lose Nona. And then, um, the ambulance came and I called Jordan and I said, Jordan, you need to get down here. Um, I, I just have this very bad feeling that this is not good. So within an hour, um, I was at the house and Jordan was an hour behind me. And I stopped by the hospital with Marissa just to see Paul and give him a hug because we couldn't go in um, because of COVID. And um, we went home, 
actually I'm lying. I took her to five below because I knew she needed a distraction. So we went to five below and then we got home and Jordan was here and Paul called me and said, um, mom has coded twice. And if she codes again, the the doctors aren't going to try to, um, resuscitate her. So I flew to the hospital, um, and I, I, I got into the hospital luckily because if this would have happened in May or April, um, Paul wouldn't have been able to go in. My sister-in-law wouldn't have been able to go in and I wouldn't have been able to go in to see them. But by the time I got there and they took my temperature and they went through all the steps to let me walk through the back, mom had passed away. And I was, I couldn't believe it. It was horrible. It, It was horrible. I remember the day dad passed away and I, we were, I walked into the same damn hospital. Um, Paul was in the car with Jordan, who was nine years old at the time. And it was right before our vacation. We were going to Las Vegas and um, I I was the first one in the hospital and I realized that dad wasn't breathing. So when I got to the hospital and Paul said, she's gone, I was so upset that I couldn't see her. It was absolutely horrible, but um, it's weird because everything happens for a reason. And sorry. Okay. So, um, this was the week that we were all on vacation. So it enabled us to do everything that we had to do here to take care of the services and and everything. But, oh my God, what a crazy three months this has been. Um, So the reason I wanted to talk about this is because there's so much guilt and um, anger at COVID because I didn't get to see her. And we stayed away so she didn't get sick. And what happens? She dies of pneumonia. What the frig? And right back to, wait, what? Pneumonia? She tested negative for COVID um, in the hospital. They they had to test her before she went in um, to determine which part of the hospital she'd go to. And she was negative. And then they did a more in-depth test and she was still negative. So we know she didn't die of COVID-19 unless that's just what they told us. I have no idea, but, um, pneumonia, pneumonia, weird, very weird. The day after she went to the doctor. Um, anyway, so freaking COVID took away my last birthday with her Mother's Day, Easter, 
it's just so much. Um, sorry, guys. This is one that'll be hard to swallow. Um, the whole family is a mess. My girls are a mess. And my husband blames himself because he took her to the doctor. And he thinks the medication um, is what killed her. His best friend is a doctor and um, he went through the 56 page report um, from the doctor uh, that was treating my mother-in-law. And it turned out she had um, all of these issues, which we kind of knew, but we didn't know for sure because she was so damn stubborn and wouldn't go to the doctor. But um, she did this her way. She didn't want to go to the doctor because she, she knew if they found one thing, they'd find another. So she didn't want to know. And, you know, she passed away right before her 80th birthday. We ended up having her memorial on her 80th birthday, which was crazy and emotional, but we got to celebrate her life. Um, you know, we had to be very limited at the funeral. We didn't have a wake um, and nobody really got closure with this. We, we had seen her the week before. And although we knew something wasn't right, we didn't think she would be gone so quickly. So I, I think that friggin' this virus, this pandemic is just causing so many um, scars that we are stuck with. And um, no matter what, I think the worst thing will be that we didn't get any time with her. You know, in the summer, we would always come down the shore. We would hang out with her. She'd come up by us. Um, she, her birthday was August 1st. Marissa is August 11th. We always celebrated their birthdays together. Um, this was the first year that we couldn't. So, you know, 2020, oh my God, sucks. But at the same time, I know she's not in pain anymore. And I feel like she did think she, she knew this was coming, um, down to the way she left stuff in her house. She left, um, piles of bills. And, and as Cindy and I were going through some of her stuff, there were little notes. Um, cause she knew we would look through her stuff and be like, what the frig is this? And then, um, sure enough, there was a note and then we would laugh and then we would cry, but, um, we're getting through it. Uh, my kids are getting better. Um, but this is a tough one. So for anyone uh, that has lost anyone during it, well, in general, it's horrible to lose them during COVID is a thousand times worse to lose them in the beginning of COVID was a million times worse. Um, 
my friend, Samantha, who I told you uh, recently lost her grandma, also lost her husband's best friend. Um, I'm sorry, Sammy, I can't remember what month, but I know it was the beginning of this whole pandemic. And you guys had to say goodbye to him in a body bag. And I can't even imagine having that image in my mind. It's bad enough that after mom passed, I went into the room with Paul and Cindy and I got to see her and it didn't even look like her. It was, she was cold. It was awful. So <clears throat> I'm glad uh, it happened where we could see her after she was gone. Um, and that I didn't have to say goodbye to her in a friggin' body bag. Um, anyway, we didn't have a viewing because she was so damn stubborn. She did not want anybody um, looking at her after she was gone. But um, we, as a family, with the exception of Marissa, all got to see her before the funeral. Um, and she looked awesome, which was, it was amazing to see, uh, seeing her when she passed and then seeing her uh, after they worked on her. And of course, they broke one of her fucking nails. So, <laughs> um, and it was, it was one of the nails on the hand that was up in the coffin. And we couldn't help but laugh because we knew she would be freaking pissed that um, if we did have a wake and people saw her and there was a broken nail, she would, she would be tormenting us for the rest of our lives. So anyway, um, things have been rough here. Um, and I can't believe it's three months. It's almost three months since we lost her. And it feels like, I don't know. I walk around her house um, and I'm, I just wait for her to come out, but then she doesn't. So it's kind of weird. And um, because school is remote right now, um, I'm actually down at her house with my dogs. And I know, <laughs> I know if she could, she would probably uh, knock me out because they were never allowed in this house. She has white carpet. And, uh, but anyway, um, at the same time, I'm, I'm, I think she would be happy that we were here and going through her stuff and taking time uh, to remember her. So, um, so much for that. I needed to get that off my chest. Um, sorry for crying, but it was inevitable. It would happen. So, okay. So coming up, I have decided, um, well, I have a couple of different directions that Invisible Scars is going to go in. And one of them is I will, um, I will be interviewing my niece who two years ago um, was battling with an eating disorder and almost lost her life. And um, she's, she's good now and we talked and she wants to tell her story. And I'm hoping that her story will help some people that are, are not in a good place with their, their bodies and how they look and, and um, 
I hope it can help someone. And then uh, another direction is I really need to talk about my struggle with infertility and um, what that process is like. And um, my scars are so, they go so far back. It's, it's hard to even remember some of them, but as I talk about it, all the feelings come back and um, mom was there through this whole uh, challenge with trying to have, when Paul and I were trying to have a baby and, and everyone thinks that it's, Oh, well, they went, you know, they had IVF and they took the easy way out. And I really want to talk about that journey and how difficult that whole process was. Um, so there's a couple more things. Like I said, um, we will still talk about emotional abuse. I have a few of my friends. Um, Relena is one that is willing to share her story. Um, with all of you. And when she's ready, hopefully at the end of the month or maybe in October, which is uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, um, maybe we'll get her story out then. Her story is unbelievable. I met her last October speaking at an event for Never Alone Again. And uh, I heard her story and I instantly had to go talk to her. I was drawn to her. And a few weeks ago, um, I did a raffle on uh, for my jewelry, Touchstone Crystal by Swarovski. It's so pretty. And she won randomly. She won $1,000 in jewelry. And one thing that she posted on my page is that I always pop up when she needs me the most, whether I know it or not. And I was like, wow, really? I I didn't think anybody like needed me or that I was helping anybody, but to know that um, I was available for someone or I was able to make them feel better and, and take some of that pain away when they were having a rough time just makes me feel so, um, so happy about sharing this story and, and doing this podcast with all of you. So if anyone wants to share their story, um, please post on our, on my Facebook page, invisible scars. Um, if you're not a member, you can email me at invisible scars podcast at gmail.com. And I can add you to the group. Um, I would love to share your stories if you're ready to share your stories, it's not easy. It's, it's hard to say that, you know, I've been abused and I was in this situation, but it's amazing to say I got out of it and I'm helping people. So if you think your story can help someone, and if you don't think your story can help someone, it doesn't matter because I know that it can, you become drawn to people that need you. Teresa Johnston, um, who's the founder and CEO of Never Alone Again Resource Center in Teaneck, said to me, Michelle, now that your story's out, you will be surprised that people will just find you. And I cannot even begin to tell you how many times that happened. It's like, I'll be, I'll be walking um, at, when I was at the hotel, 
people, I, I remember seeing this one lady crying on the sidewalk and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go talk to her, which I never would have done a year ago. And she told me that um, she was waiting for her luggage to come, but she didn't want to be in the hotel because her boyfriend was just so controlling and abusive. And I couldn't believe that she was telling me that it was, it was like, I was meant to see her that day and um, things like that just constantly happen. So whether you believe it or not, you will touch someone's life and maybe save someone's life. So if you want to talk, like I said, um, and tell your story, email me at invisible scars with an S at the end podcast at gmail.com. Even if you don't want to share your story on the podcast, email me if you want to talk. Okay. So thank you guys for listening. Um, sorry for getting so emotional, but like I said, this was an inevitable, uh, I was going to get upset no matter what the minute I would talk about mom. So, um, thank you for listening and, um, I'll see you guys soon. Thanks for joining Invisible Scars. Never Alone Again, Domestic Violence Organization and Resource Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that was created in 1999 to offer empathetic support for victims of domestic abuse. Motivated by personal experience and the awareness of a need for a safe haven, NAG was developed. We are a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing high quality and individually tailored support services to victims and survivors of domestic violence abuse and families in need. www.neveraloneagain.org